What's up, everyone? This is the Up Tempo Podcast. I am your host, Craig Cameron. And along with me this week, we have Max Jeffries, Justin Peak, and Anthony Evans. How y'all doing, guys? Doing great, man. Good, man. Let's go, squad. Yes, sir. Talking this week, just a little bracket recap. The March Madness bracket is done. Baylor was your national champions. Just a little recap. Uh, what's it up to y'all in this uh, tournament, guys? I start off just, I mean, upset central. I mean, we can go ahead and dive into that. I mean, my bracket was shattered in the first day, so. Yeah. <laughs> and you're just talking about, man, like the Ohio State Oral Roberts game, like just kind of set the tone for what we kind of want as fans is the madness aspect, and we definitely got that a little bit. But at the end of the day, the, the big boys shine through. But, you know, I'll let the other guys speak on that one. Yeah, or Roberts had a good run. They were the first 15 seed to make it to the Sweet 16 since 2013 with Florida Gulf Coast. And they had a pretty good shot to beat Arkansas at the end there. Uh, came up short with that last three-pointer. But other than that, yeah, it, it was the probably one of the biggest upset tournaments we've had in a long time, if ever. My top upset was Oregon and Iowa. I mean, Oregon comes in, uh, it's supposed to play VCU, and then, you know, COVID happens and VCU can't play. And uh, so they skip around and then they beat Iowa by 15. So I think that was the biggest one for me. I was not expecting Iowa to lose by 15, to, especially to a seven seed. Yeah. And especially with National Player of the Year in the post right there, too. And I, I had a. Uh... I had Texas in the final four, so Abilene Christian really messed me up in that, that first night. I yeah. think one, one big thing we got to talk about is how about UCLA, man? To go from oh, a sure. play-in play game to the final four, I mean, that might be arguably one of the best runs that we've seen, especially in recent history. And along with that uh, matchup with, like, the whole first round, the first four, was I would be willing to say – most of America thought Michigan State was going to beat UCLA and also beat BYU because uh, Michigan State had a pretty good end of March. Uh, they upset uh, Michigan. They upset Michigan and Ohio State to end the season. So they're coming in March Madness pretty hot, and for them that they blew also a pretty big double digit lead in that first four game. So for them to blow that lead uh, was pretty upsetting to me because I, I hadn't beating BYU, but UCLA man they. They showed up and showed out because that was a tough region to come out of Michigan and Alabama, and they also uh, had Florida State in that, that region. So props out to them, man. Hey, as an Alabama fan, did you expect to get beat by UCLA or were you all expecting – I mean, obviously you want to go as far as you can go, but was were you expecting UCLA to be the team to kick you all out? Not really, no. Um, I thought Alabama was a pretty good team with, you know, just shooting the three and um, – spacing and I thought the fast up tempo offense would keep UCLA on their feet and I didn't think initially UCLA had the shooters to keep up with Alabama but they got some pretty good help from their bench and obviously Johnny Juzang just had an amazing tournament run and he he played amazing uh just in March itself and uh going into the final four I mean it was not disappointing at all to lose the UCLA just because you lost to a team that was playing with heart playing with a uh, hustle, the playing as a team had great chemistry. So, I mean, it, it sucks to lose in March, but at the same time, when you was a team like UCLA, the way they were playing, it's you love to see it at the same time. It's, just, it's so beautiful to watch how they play together. Yeah, they peaked at the right time for sure. And there's some uh, – like a lot of coaches out there would say, uh, you're playing so many games leading up. You got 
is playing games better than rest in some situations. I mean, we just saw it from UCLA. I mean, they got going, getting a rhythm. Yeah, they're playing games. You would think your legs start to get hit a little bit, but it seemed like they had no problem with it, and they just fed off that chemistry that they were building, and it ended up carrying them to the Final Four. Yeah, it all depends on who you play, too. And I wouldn't even say UCLA had a pretty favorable region either. I mean, BYU uh, was no sleeper. BYU almost beat Gonzaga in that conference championship game back in early March. And then Abilene Christian, that was a pretty easy game for them in the second round. But beating Alabama and Michigan to get to the Final Four uh, was no sleeper there. Yeah, I think especially just going back to that Alabama game, I mean, not to twist the wound a little bit, but I mean, they hit they hit that shot going to overtime and then just absolutely shut them down in overtime. I mean, that yeah. was – I mean, nobody was expecting that, I don't think. Like, the shots just weren't falling for Alabama. They kind of just fell off the wayside there, and it was like – you would think they were carrying that momentum into the overtime, and then UCLA just find a way. Yeah, that year goes one of two ways. You either have all momentum uh, and, or just the moment's too big for you, celebrate too much at the end of regulation, and you don't – get focused in overtime and that's what that happened I mean they were I guess so caught up on that shot with Alex Reese hitting that big uh deep three to force overtime and UCLA just kept doing their thing kept making their shots uh got stops on defense and I mean it they ended up winning big uh 10 point win overtimes no joke I mean you, you don't just losing by 10 overtime after being in such a close game one of the things I wanted to talk about uh talk between I mean, I guess everybody really – Gonzaga's bench depth. Do you think they played four guys off the bench in the national championship game, right, or maybe five? And I think two of them got more than ten minutes. With the physicality and the pace of Baylor, I think that was a big impact on how Gonzaga was able to play the game. I mean, they gave up a ton of offensive rebounds. Um, Baylor was pushing the ball up the floor very hard. Uh, and I think that wore them down very quickly. I mean, obviously they went on a 9-0 run to start the game, but, um, you know, I, th- I think that over a 40-minute time period, that definitely wears you down. And uh, if you're only going to play seven to nine guys, you, you can only do so much, you know? Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, that 9 nothing run to start the game, I think that pretty much did it for the Gonzaga because – um, they trailed by, I think as many as 15 points, like with less than 10 minutes into the game. And that was their biggest deficit of the season. So they hadn't faced anything like that. And to go down that big that early, it kind of um, just set the tone when Baylor, every time Gonzaga got close to getting back into the game, Baylor would just respond with a three-pointer on the air end, uh, or just a big transition uh, shot. So I think it's a physicality, just the three-point shooting, uh, the offensive rebounding, it was just – a lot of things that went wrong for Gonzaga in that game, and it just wasn't their night. I mean, that's, that's all March Madness is really. I mean, because Baylor played one of their best games of the season that night, and it was probably Gonzaga's one of the one of the worst for them. And I was talking to my friend the other day about like it was going into that matchup when you have a game on Saturday in that way it did for Gonzaga. That like at that magnitude, and that uh, dramatic ending with the half court shot with Jalen sucks for the win, you know that. It's, it's pretty hard to, you know, settle down after that and get back in the swing of things. And, all right, we got less than 48 hours prepared for the next game for a championship. While, meanwhile, Baylor beat their opponent pretty handily, and they got, obviously, the extra two hours of 
preparing because their game was earlier. And I think with that, just Baylor did not have that, you know, they didn't have to come back down to earth after that big win on Saturday like Gonzaga did. So they're, I think they're just more prepared going to that game. I think, too, another big part, even when we talk about the offense rebounds, which obviously were a big deal, it just seemed like the Gonzaga post players weren't really trying to get a body on people. Um, and, I mean, they were – I mean, Baylor really wasn't hitting shots too much there in the beginning. They were just getting the second chance and kicking out and making them. But one of the big things when I was watching it was Suggs goes down two fouls there in, like, what was it? Yeah. Like two and a half, three minutes, and that just kind of – you're already you're already facing adversity there. Then your best player just goes down with two fouls. He's got to sit. It just seemed like, yeah, Gonzaga's they kind of pulled it a little bit back there. I mean, got to 10 and a half, but it seemed like that was really a pivotal point in the game. Cause like we're saying with the, the bench depths and some of those guys got to come in. They haven't played that early. You know, it's a big stage, your best player sitting there on the bench who just hit a game winner to put you there. Yeah, for think, sure. I mean it's kind of tough when you get when you lose a player like that yeah he came back in did pretty solid but those minutes that he's not out on the floor makes a difference yeah I, I totally agree with that because you know 2000 in that big of a game that early uh it really sets the tone uh, I think he still played I think 14 minutes in the first half but I mean that's six minutes right there uh especially when you got uh you know Mitchell and uh Butler playing you know 35 minutes in that game total you got to have your best players in the four pretty much the entire game. Uh, I know UCLA, John Juzang played all 45 minutes of that final four game on Saturday. Usually when you have those big teams with like, you know, one big player, they play the entire game in college uh, and sometimes NBA. So any, any fouls like that early are just going to hurt your team. And I, I have to agree that that really did set the tone along with the nine nothing run to start of the game with just having your best player out that fast. I want to I want to throw this to Maddox real quick because he's got an interesting way of looking at it because he's played both of them this year. So what did what did you take away from that game? Did it go as you would have expected? You know, playing Gonzaga, playing against Baylor. Um, did you did it go how you thought it was, or any differences compared to when you guys played them? Yeah, I think so. Um, it, to me, it was really just a style of play. Uh, Gonzaga, they want to get up and down. They want to get the fast break, you know, be able to find their shooters, force turnovers, stuff like that, where Baylor, they're going to sit down and guard you for 40 minutes. And then they're going to come down. They're going to run really good stuff. They're going to create the mismatches that they need because they have three guys that can break a guy down and get wherever they want. Um, and that, I think that really kind of showed in the beginning, with especially with their physicality with Vital up front. Like they ran their offense. They got the mismatches. You saw multiple times with Davion Mitchell going against Drew Timmy. Like Gonzaga is never going to win that matchup right there. And then it switches a smaller guy onto a big, so then Vital gets an easy rebound. It's just kind of the style of play. Um, yeah, I kind of expected Baylor to win it. And kind of talking with Justin right before we watched the game, it was, it was like UCLA kind of laid the blueprint in a Final Four game with their speed and their quickness and getting up into Gonzaga, switching everything. And it, it bothered Gonzaga and Gonzaga still ended up winning because they forced turnovers down the stretch, but Baylor with three very good guards, they're not going to turn it over at that capacity. So they, they were able to control the ball, control the rebound and control the tempo and play how they wanted to play. 
I think I saw a tweet uh, talking about Baylor's defense. It was like they're out there, like they're playing shell defense, trying to get trying to get a stop, get back off the court. I was like, the, the way they were switching it was just like Gonzaga couldn't go anywhere, especially around the perimeter, especially when they had the post players handling the ball a little bit. I mean, they those guards from Baylor were just jumping in there and they could not get downhill whatsoever, and that kind of disrupted them there in that first half. Yeah, especially with Suggs getting the two quick fouls. Because aside from Suggs, you have Andrew Nimhard, who can kind of break a guy down. Joel A. is a great defensive player, but he's not really known to break a guy down and go past you. Like he kind of just has to have a straight line drive. And Corey Kispert, the amazing career that he has or had, like he he's a catch and shoot guy. He's not going to break you down one on one. So once Suggs went out, it's like, okay, well, what type of offense is Gonzaga going to run? And they wanted to throw it inside to Timmy, but they couldn't get anything because of ball pressure from the guards and great post defense. And speaking a little bit more about like UCLA laying the blueprint for Gonzaga going in the Monday night, that was an instant classic. I mean, we haven't seen one of those games since I would say the Villanova North Carolina game for the national championship back in 2016. What, what made that game an instant classic? I think the main thing, obviously you see the finish, you see the score, like, just the offense just going at each other. I mean, it seemed like every time somebody needed to make a shot, they were making shots. And it's, I mean, even you come down to the very end, UCLA, you know, gets that offensive rebound, put back three seconds. You're like, oh, this is for sure going to a, another overtime. But it's like, you know, I mean, with that, with that type of game, you never know what's going to happen at the end. That's why it, it kind of seemed like towards the end, UCLA was like, oh, yeah, we just made the shot, not really paying attention to yet they're driving the ball down the court about to get a shot off. They're just, you know, a little bit switched off there and ended up burning them. But I think for the most part, I mean, that game was, I mean, a pure basketball game. I mean, offense, defense, like it just, I mean, all around great game. That's all you got to look at it. I mean, you, you just look at the finish. Yeah, it's a great shot, but literally the whole entire game those those kids were competing it was great it was great to watch for sure i mean i i loved watching uh just ucla compete i mean you know going to that game ucla is you know they haven't really made any statements all year long uh being the pac-12 pac-12 was very slept on they had a great march madness uh a lot of good teams uc usc oregon colorado uh and also ucla all may had big wins in the tournament and they didn't back down the Gonzaga. They went there looking to win, and they won to win the national championship this year. And I think, it, you know, everyone on that team felt like they could, and they believed they could. And uh, like I said, Johnny Juzang played absolutely amazing. Uh, all 45 minutes of that game uh, shot, I believe, 66% from the field, 50% from three. Uh, he did everything he needed to uh, help his team win that game. And – you know, it, it does suck to watch a team lose like that. That's one of those games you really feel like, you know, both teams deserve to win. Uh, you would have been fine with your team winning that game. Yeah, I think you look at the passion and emotion that those players played with too, and that's why it contributed to being such an instant classic. Like, it it felt like every bucket was going to be the last bucket of the game. Yeah. It, it, it just made it – like, it just had that special feel – and it took everybody on both rosters. You could tell that the kids just would refuse to lose. And it, it kind of happened. It came down to a, a fluke shot to win the game. 
Like if that, I think that could have gone to easily double, triple overtime before we got a winner. Yeah. Kind of like Justin said, the, the constant back and forth is, you know, always exciting, but looking at the stat sheet after the game, the stats look pretty much identical. The, the field goal percentage was around 58%. Uh, the only big difference was Gonzaga's three point percentage was um, significantly lower, but we talk about rebounds, you talk about turnovers, uh, assists, you know, they all look identical. So really it just comes down to the last seconds of which we, we saw and Gonzaga come out on top. But it, when you got identical stats, it, it's, it's hard not for it to be an instant classic when it comes down to the wire like that. And uh, we talked about, you know, obviously we've been talking about UCLA being like the surprise team, the most impressive team in the tournament. I wouldn't say Gonzaga is the most disappointing team they could be. Was there a disappointing team that stuck out to y'all? It could be a team that lost in the first round. could be a team that lost in the Sweet 16 or the Elite Eight. Was there one team that stood out to y'all that felt like they could have done more? Well, my bracket got busted by Texas, so they're not – I'm not a big fan of Texas right now. <laughs> I thought they were really hot after winning the Big 12 and coming in, and I, I, I was really looking forward to a Texas-Alabama matchup. Yeah, I saw I saw a kid at church last Wednesday night, and he was wearing a Texas hoodie. And I walk up to him, never talked to him in my life, and I said, "You were my bracket. I don't like you." And he said, "I don't even know you." <laughs> I was like, "I don't care." <laughs> Doesn't matter. You have beef. Yeah, <laughs> we got beef. Yeah, but I would say for me, uh, I had Illinois as my my tournament champion. I really liked Illinois. I thought they had a good point guard center uh, duo and some great shooters. I felt like they were peaking at the right time. I just really liked them going in, uh, going the, to the final four in that region. I thought that was a good region for them to win. And I, I didn't feel like Houston I, – I, Houston's a great team. I just didn't feel like they were, you know, a final four team in my opinion. I felt like, you know, they had a pretty easy path to the uh, big stage, defeat Oregon State to get there, and you almost lose the Rutgers – any team was going to come out of any region. I could have uh, seen that being the most wild region just because you had Oregon State, uh, Loyal Chicago, Houston, and uh, Syracuse all in the uh, Sweet 16 in that whole region. So that was a pretty shaky region to choose from. And I just – I can't believe Illinois messed it up by losing the Loyal Chicago. Loyal Chicago played a great game that day when they beat them uh, in the round 32 – However, it was pretty disappointing to see Oil Chicago struggle and only put up, I think, like 57 points the next game against Oregon State. So I always say Illinois is my most disappointing team in the tournament. I think coming into it, though, Illinois had so much hype. You know, yeah. and, you know they had a good Big Ten season. It's like kind of is, is Illinois back, you know, back to the old days, you know, where they were a contender pretty much all the time. They kind of dropped off there for a while. And it seemed like they finally were getting it going. I mean, you look at it, I mean, they got great guards. I mean, one of the best post players in the Big Ten. I mean, you can make a case he's one of the top ten post players in the country. I mean, he's a beast down there. But I think it's it's crazy. They end up getting uh, an in-state opponent in the second round. This is, this is why some of these big teams don't want to schedule, like, these in-state opponents because it just it adds a little bit of fuel to the fire that's I know you're in the NCAA tournament you know every game is important but if you're a Loyola Chicago you're going up against Illinois the top you know the big dogs up there that gives you a little bit of extra fire in the tank you know what I'm saying so 
I think it was just a bad draw for them. Um, I mean, don't no discredit to Loyola Chicago. I mean, that great team. Um, I mean, they, they deserve that win that game. I mean, you can't, you can't say anything other than that, but I think it was just really disappointing for Illinois and Ohio state. I mean, just the, the showing for the big 10. I mean, if Michigan would have fumbled it a little bit earlier, I mean, you would have been saying the big 10 really lost big time in this tournament. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and big 10 was with that one, of the best conferences all year long, if not the best up there with the big 12 and Turned out, honestly, you could say it's Pac-12 that was the best and <laughs> the uh, March Madness tournament because, I mean, Big 12, they were ended up winning it. But in the end, and Pac-12 had, I think, the best record overall. I mean, that, they had, like a, I think, 7-0 or 8-0 start to the tournament going into the second weekend. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Big 10 was probably the most disappointing, though, overall. I mean, you had Ohio State uh, losing the first round of, obviously, 15-seed Oral Roberts and – all, Illinois losing the second round, Purdue losing the first round. So they were probably one of the best overall this year uh, in the first round, I mean, uh, in the top 10 with having like most teams in their conference uh, going in and out uh, of the rankings. And it was, it was pretty honestly surprising to me to see all that, uh, all those teams lose so early in that conference. Yeah. Don't forget about Iowa either. Yeah. Um, yeah, we kind of already talked about mine. Oregon, Iowa was my biggest upset. Um, but, Craig, you surprised me. I, I thought you were riding that Oklahoma State train. Um, I was. I yeah. was. I thought you were going to say that Oregon State game was your biggest upset. No, I mean, I, I had Illinois as my champion. And sadly, like when, I, I, when the bracket came out, I was pretty upset because I loved Oklahoma State. And Illinois, Oklahoma State was meeting in the Sweet 16 in my bracket. Obviously, it didn't happen, but – uh, yeah, I, I didn't think Oklahoma State would make it past Sweet 16 with Illinois being in that uh, side of the bracket. And I think Oregon State, uh, they didn't really surprise me. They, they uh, played really well. They won the Pac-12, and uh, they were pretty hot going in the tournament. I actually almost picked them to beat Tennessee, but I thought Tennessee's veteran and leadership, like just more experience, would play out uh, in that matchup. However, they did get the win over Tennessee. That's That was a shocker to me, too. But – yeah, Oklahoma State, uh, they, they peaked at the right time, but I feel like Oregon State was just peaking even better than them at that time. So, Oklahoma State, I love Caden Cunningham this year. He played amazing. You know, that young bunch, they were probably one of the best teams to watch grow over the season. But we'll have to see. Uh, yeah, they got a good coach now, and they're a young team, so we'll probably back next year. I was actually kind of surprised with uh, Michigan. I thought – I didn't expect Michigan to go as far as they did. Just, well – they they kind of disappointed themselves in the turn in the conference tournament and they lost livers uh to injury. I mean, if you look at it, like they had a tough road. Like yeah, yeah, Texas Southern, like, okay, but like LSU, I actually picked LSU to beat Michigan because of LSU's ability to hit the three and stuff like that. And then Florida State, historically great program. And to go from LSU to Florida State and then UCLA, like that's that's three big time games. I didn't I was kind of shocked that they made it to the elite eight. Yeah, actually, uh, once they made it to the elite eight, I was like, I, I did think they would beat UCLA, but uh, I actually thought they'd lose a Florida State uh, initially. Uh, I, I had Michigan going all the way to the elite eight, but going in that second weekend, I was like, you know what, Michigan might slip up here because they did they did uh, look a little shaky against LSU, and uh, I thought Florida State with their length speed would 
be bad for them. And Livers was out the entire tournament. He never came back. So that was probably the biggest loss for them. Uh, I think they do probably go to the Final Four and beat UCLA if they did end up having Livers in the tournament. So that was probably the deciding factor for that team. As well, I think if you look at USC and what they did. Yeah. Like Drake is a tough matchup. Kansas, um, Oregon beats Iowa. But like if they play Iowa, you get to see Evan Mobley versus Lou Garza. Like two of the best bigs this year. So I was, I was as well a little surprised with the USC. Um, obviously, they lost by 19 to Gonzaga in the Elite Eight, but they had a great run. Not to mention they gave Kansas their worst uh, March Madness loss ever. <laughs> so Yeah, I think they took uh, Auburn's title from us. Yeah. For beating, <laughs> beating the brakes off of Kansas in the tournament. Yeah. There you go. Subtle plug there, Maddox. I like it. <laughs> is it is it uh it's interesting to say is a LA basketball central now? I mean they got two solid teams. I mean they're young, it could be possible going it forward. It could be. UCLA look, uh is looking really good right now. We'll see how it goes, you know, coming up next year. I mean, you know, you get a little bit more target on your back now. Oh, yeah. Me, me and go ahead and go into next year, too. Um, talk about the preseason rankings. What just give y'all me y'all's top five? Uh, who are y'all's top five teams going into the next season? Yeah, that's tough. And don't put Auburn in them. <laughs> I think it's a little too hard to tell right now because the transfer portal is so wild and sure. you don't really know what a complete roster is going to look like. Because, like, yeah, you look, it's like, okay, Duke will probably be back. They'll reload, yeah. stuff like that. But it's not really Duke you have to look at. It's the rest of the teams and how they get better. And, like, how how does North Carolina go without with uh, Coach Williams retiring? And I, I think it's a little too early to say, um, especially with guys still coming out for the draft. Like, uh, we talked about before this, like, Johnny Juzang hasn't said anything yet. If he comes back, yeah, you got to look at UCLA as a top five team for next year. What's going to happen with Baylor? What's going to happen with Gonzaga? What guys leave? What guys stay? With Because with COVID, all seniors can come back for next year. So it, it's tough, but there's going to be some really good teams next year. Yeah, for sure. I think I think college basketball is going to be a lot, uh, a lot of fun next year. I think, you know, with COVID guidelines being uh, less strict, potentially going into November, this upcoming fall, uh, I think we'll have fans back, and I think it's be bigger atmosphere just overall for next season. Uh, it'll be a lot more fun for the players, and I think that's that was a big exciting factor from last year. I think you know a lot a lot of players in last year's college basketball went pro uh, earlier than they probably wanted to, just because they, they didn't know what would happen for college basketball, mm-hmm. and uh, we saw it a lot with uh, you know players in SEC too, so. Uh, but I, 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 I agree with what you said. Uh, it is tough to tell right now. Uh, I would have to say with just rosters right now, I think you have to look at, you know, UCLA. I, I would say Alabama, uh, probably bottom of the top five. Probably go with Michigan. And uh, I want to say I, – I think Texas might be good. And, you know, they got rid of Shaka Smart, and you bring in Texas Tech's head coach. I really like him, and he's a great coach, great motivator, and you get the recruiting with Texas with that coach. I think they could be on the rise. That's a great, great program going uh, into the future. 
I think one thing you really got to think about is Maddox touched on a little bit is these seniors can come back. Yes. Yes. Which throws a wrench into everything, especially even you got the transfer portal hot right now. You got seniors that can come back. You you really don't know what these rosters are going to look like. I mean, you, you still have some kids that haven't declared. There are some declared they might come back. Um, yeah, I mean, I've never been the biggest fan of like the way too early top 10 and all that stuff. It always comes on the day after the uh, national yeah, championship. <laughs> especially in basketball, it's kind of hard. Like football, you yeah. have an idea. I mean, you can pretty much, you know, who's going to be up there. Basketball is just, this day and age is different than anything we've ever seen. Like sure. we, got, we got kids just transferring in, in conference playing without sitting out. And like, it's, it's just like the wild, wild west out here right now. So it's it's really hard to tell. Some some teams could surprise you that you don't have even in your top ten end up making a run, getting some good players. Like it's it's just really hard to tell at this point. Yeah, and it's it's always shaky with the even the preseason rankings. Even when we do know the rosters, I mean, you know, last season you had Kansas, Kentucky, and Duke all ranked in the top ten going the uh you know into the season, and that's normal for college basketball. And they all like have. Duke and Kentucky have the worst seasons in how many so years? I mean, I came to the last time Kentucky had a losing record, and you know Duke makes uh, doesn't make the tournament for the first time since I believe the '90s or '80s. So, I mean, it's it was insane to watch this year with those blue bloods struggling, and I, I believe you know they'll probably, we'll probably see them back in the top twenty-five, maybe in the top ten going next year just because their winning culture or like the hype around them, but. Um, yeah, like you said, we'll have to see just because there's a lot of recruiting still going on. Uh, a lot of players still committing, a lot of players still transferring. So uh, no telling what it'll be like with even the whole extra eligibility with uh, COVID guidelines. I think you're going to see a lot of these mid-majors get really good. Um, and you're going to start seeing a lot of upsets for, for years to come because, like, just for example, and not actually looking at, like, rosters and stuff, say Kentucky has three guys transfer because they're bringing in five five stars and they're going to get two other transfers well there's only so many roster spots in high major d1 yeah there's over 1200 kids in the portal right now it's like where are these kids going to go well they're going to end up at your oral roberts your grand canyons the schools that nobody's heard about that are going to be really really good and they're going to be older like the teams that win in college basketball are older teams and you can see that with our last couple of national champions baylor villanova virginia uh, North Carolina was older when they won it a couple years ago. Like your your freshmen aren't going to win. It's it's going to be your older teams. Yeah, for sure. I was I think we talked about that on one of the uh, podcasts. I think two months ago or over this basketball season, and I was talking about how you know we haven't seen a freshman team win since 2015 Duke, and you know you have your teams uh, that will go to the Final Four, or go to the Elite Eight, or Sweet Sixteen, but. You know, it's the veteran experience. It's the veteran guards that end up winning. Uh, the guys who have seen, you know, more plays, know what they're doing, have been there before. And uh, it's it's tough to win in college basketball, and that's, that's why the veterans usually win it. Even even with that Duke team, you had veteran players that have been yeah. there a long time, which makes a difference. Yeah, your, your best players are freshmen. They're carrying your team. But those upperclassmen, I'm telling you, locker room, is it's big. Like, you got to have people that have been there before, know how to handle it, keep some stuff off coach's plate, you know, keep people in check. Like, 
you 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 have to have that upperclassman experience. It's just it's in, it's invaluable, really. I mean, there's there's only so much it, you as a coach can instill in players. It's when you got that team camaraderie where players are checking themselves, trying to you know get on each other, get people better. That's that's usually when your teams go far. For sure. Yeah, yeah I think it. if you look at it, the last team that had like all freshmen was probably that uh, Kentucky team with Anthony yeah, Davis. And that team was just a freak show. Like Marquise Teague in the league, Terrence Jones in the league, Anthony Davis in the league. Yeah, that team, they had one senior, it was Darius Miller, off the bench. Yep. <laughs> That's crazy. And then there was also the 2014 team that was – they had all freshmen starting five, and I think the only senior was – honestly, I can't even tell you. I know they had uh, – I think Alex Poitras was a junior that year, Yeah, I want to say. Or no, he was, I think he was a sophomore. I don't, I don't know, but like, it, it you're gonna have teams like you know Kentucky and Duke winning 2012, 2015, but they're gonna have you know one or two seniors like that are gonna help you and maintain that locker room, like you said. Yeah, there's always exceptions to the rule when you get you know top five lottery picks. And yeah, I mean that yeah. that does help out a little bit. We're not trying to say that it doesn't help because <laughs> it does, but. I think that really shows when uh, Kentucky goes undefeated and loses to Wisconsin. Yeah. Because Wisconsin starts all seniors and Kentucky starts all freshmen. And like that Kentucky team should not have lost. Like they had Devin Booker come off the bench. What's yeah. crazy is that, is that that same Wisconsin team lost to that all freshmen starting five the year before. Mm -hmm. And then the next year they lose. I mean, it just, that's insane to me. I was, I was watching uh, – it came up on, like, the, you know, This Day in Sports on Instagram, like, you know, on this day in 2015. I was like, how did how did this team lose to this Wisconsin team? And then, like, you know, the year before, that a freshman team beat them. So um, They weren't going to let that happen twice. Yeah, it's that, that's, that's when the, re the revenge comes into play. But, like you said, it, it is like, you know, Frank Kaminsky, Sam Decker, um, they had the experience going to that game. And, you know, Julius Randle was gone next year. And uh, James Young also. So you only had about three or four guys come back from that team. And, you you know, you had about everyone come back from that Wisconsin team. And they still had it on their minds, chipping on the shoulder. And that Kentucky team was running high. So, yeah, I mean, it, it does get – like you're talking about with the Louisville, Chicago, Illinois. I mean, it, it, like, you know, you, sometimes you get that tough matchup where you got, kind of get the unfair end of the stick of playing a team that you don't really want to play because they have that back in their mind. Like, you know, we want to beat you because – there's, there's, there's more to this than basketball. I think, too, just speaking on, like, we're talking about teams that had a little bit down year this year. I mean, you would have to assume that, you know, Coach K, Bill Self, all these guys, they're – that's not going to happen again. You, would, yeah. you have to assume that, you know, those players take from that experience and they're like, all right, we can't just stroll up in here and expect to beat everybody. And, like, I mean, they pretty much got embarrassed this year compared sure. to their pedigree. I, I think I think Duke was uh, – they kind of got short in the stick with the whole COVID thing because I think they, they could have had a chance to win the ACC this year in that tournament because they were, they were looking really hot, uh, you know, beginning of March. And, yeah, they, I think they had two straight wins in the start of the tournament. I believe they beat uh, Boston College and I think Clemson. And they were supposed to play, I think, Florida State or Virginia. And they also got hit with COVID. And I'm not saying they win the ACC, but in a day that, you know, they already didn't get a chance to, to make the tournament. So, uh, mm -hmm. however, Kentucky was in Mississippi State in that first game. That was 
very disappointing. I, I didn't think, you know, they'd lose to Mississippi State. I thought they would win that game and lose to Alabama. But down here for the Blue Bloods, I think I'll be back next year, but it's going to take some roster changes and some coaching adjustments. Yeah, kind of like you talked about, Justin, like Duke, Kentucky, Kansas, all top seven recruiting classes coming in. Yeah, I mean, And then all... you added the transfer portal. Like, they're, they're reloading. Oh, and Kansas yeah. just got to Yosefu from yeah, Duke, uh, Drake. Oh, they some guy from Duke just transferred to Kansas as well. I yep. forget his name, but um, that's what I'm saying. This these transfers, man, it's wild, especially with this COVID stuff, and that you potentially not gonna have to sit out and stuff. It's just like some of these kids are like, um, you know, I'm just screw this. I'm gonna go to the next team, just see what happens over here. And is it you can't account for it? You never expect that to happen, and it's it's hard to plan in recruiting, like. So you're like, oh, I got this guy for next year. And he's like, he's out. So now you got to spot the field that you're not recruiting right now. So then you come the next year, you're a little bit of man down or you got to go get somebody else in the portal or something like that. Like, it's, it's just hard to account for right now. And it's just getting bigger and bigger every year with the portal, I would say. I mean, we haven't seen this in a long time. I don't know if it's just because of COVID or it's just coming a trend with the player uh, transfer portal being this big and this huge players transferring because you haven't really seen it uh, in the past with, you know, Duke and Kansas, Kentucky, the blue boys, they usually been like those teams just get, you know, their five stars and develop them or, you know, just put their freshmen. They're getting a lot of portal uh, transfer now. And we're seeing more and more seniors play for those teams that are basically grad transfers or um, just coming from different colleges and it's going to be very interesting in the future to see how that plays out with just, like I said, uh, a lot of mid-major schools getting bigger because, you know, you're going to have a lot of roster changes and players having, you know, they're a spot on that team and you have to bring a five-star in and they're on the transfer out. So, like I said, I think college basketball is just getting more entertaining every year because it's getting, it's getting a lot more competitive. I'm excited for the SEC next year. I think it's going to be a lot better. This, I think this year is just – Alabama and LSU, and I was – I mean, you had Florida up there too, but – and Tennessee, yep. I guess. But, yeah, I mean, I think I'm excited. I think it's going to be very competitive next year. Yeah, I think the top next year will be Alabama. I think Kentucky will come back. Tennessee, they got uh, obviously one of our transfers, Justin Powell, coming in, and they got mm-hmm. Kennedy Chandler at the point guard. I think Tennessee will be good. But, man, a team just – people are sleeping on Arkansas. I think they're here to stay. Yeah. Musselman yeah. is killing it. Arkansas got some recruit. I mean, a transfer. I think from uh, they got they got one from Miami today. Yes, that was it. Yeah, That's and they got the Aldis Tony from Pitt the other day, who Man. was a seventeen points a game guy in the ACC. So, yeah, it, it's going to be a crab shooting the SEC for years to come. There's going to be some really good teams, and I think Stackhouse still he's he's started off slow, but I think he's got the right idea with Andy. Tom Crean obviously brought in some really good players at Georgia. Frank Martin. You know what Frank Martin's going to give you. So he's going to give you some tough matchups. Ole Miss was killer this year. State uh, made it to the championship in the NIT. So, yeah. All right. Well, if y'all have anything else, uh, I appreciate y'all taking time out of your day to do this. Till next time, talking hoops. Appreciate y'all.